Good morning, family. I was uh, driving early this morning to the South Church, and my car went, ping, four degrees. And I felt sorry for myself. And then I remembered I could be running the comrades right now. We have a number of people in our community that's participating, supporting others in the comrades, and our thoughts go with them, and our prayers, and we trust that it will be going well with them now, and uh, you know that they will just feel have extra grace going with them. How many of you woke up this morning around about four o'clock with a bit of a shaking going on? I don't know if in the east here it was as felt as much as in the southern parts of the city, but there was quite a buzz this morning. My mom said she woke up and thought her geezer exploded. Because it was just shaking and everything. Natasha and I slept right through it. <laughs> we were blissfully unaware. I don't know if that says something about our level of spirituality or something that we were completely at peace. Uh, but somebody said we've survived the rapture. <laughs> I don't know if that's something you want to survive if there is such a thing as a rapture. So let's huddle up and encourage one another and at least feel like we're together in this. Wonderful times we live in. What's next? Anybody found a reason to blame ESCOM for, the, you know, for this little tremor that we've had? I'm sure somebody will find a reason somewhere. So in our community series today, we are going to consider just growing in our spirituality, growing in our walk with the Lord in community. How many of you know what this is? Parents should, perhaps they can put it on the screen for you to see. How many parents recognize? I don't know what they look like nowadays. Are they still the same? Are they white? Aren't they like digitized or some chip implanted or something by now? Some artificial intelligence? For those of you that don't know, this is our oldest son's growth chart when he was, when he was born. So he was born in 1998, so he's turning 25 this year. But at birth, he weighed 3.42 kilograms. Hey, nice size baby. He was 51 centimeters long. And his head circumference was 34.5 centimeters. It's a little bit bigger today. <laughs> he was born by C-section. And this is a record of his life. And I think this record goes up to about 22 months, I think. I don't know if it's supposed to go further, but we got busy with the next child by then. <laughs> so, you know, perhaps the other one went further. But... Um, you know what this chart is supposed to do, if you can see there on screen, for parents or people that haven't done this, it has these trajectories. So if your child is born like ours was born here, his trajectory is then plotted about how's his development going physically. And um, I can see here, for instance, that as I said, he was born on 3.42 kilograms. And by the time he was two weeks old, just he was about five kilograms already. And then went up to seven by the time he was four kilograms. So he was actually growing quite faster than he was supposed to. And then something happened around about eight weeks. He started going a little bit below the line. But just, you know, but he was able to, for the 22 months that we measured, keep up with his growth and his development. And so we're familiar with this as in terms of a natural growth, physical growth concept. I wonder if the Lord may have one of these for every one of us for our spiritual growth. That he won't share with anybody else. That is nobody else's business to know. But perhaps the Lord plotted the day that you got born again. And he said you spiritually weighed so much when you were born again. Or something. I don't know what measure he would apply. But he plotted 
And then he's been walking with you by the Spirit, but perhaps against some understanding of where you should be over a period of time, growing you, maturing you in the faith. I don't know if that's true. That's just a thought. It's not a theology. But I think we can realistically agree that as believers, we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be what the Bible often terms maturing in our faith. If we go to Ephesians 4, verse 11, I want to make this point that maturity is the whole idea. Paul writes to the Ephesians, as he does so often in his epistles to so many of the communities that he's writing to, to, and he's talking to them about maturing and maturity. And I think it's noteworthy that when he talks about maturity, he doesn't just address individuals about individuals must be maturing, but he talks to communities and he's saying communities must be maturing. And so he writes this in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So our journey with God may begin as being born as babies into the things of the Spirit. We get born into the kingdom. You can be a 50-year-old person and become born again. And at that point, you're a baby that enters into this new family as a child of God. You enter into this new kingdom, this new system, this whole new way of life. You enter it in as a baby. But then you are provided with a multidisciplinary community that comes alongside you and starts saying, now you're supposed to go somewhere and we're gonna help you, we're gonna journey with you, we're gonna equip you, we're gonna impart to you, we're gonna train you, we're gonna teach you, we're gonna encourage you, we're gonna correct you, but you are supposed to be discipled, sanctified towards something. What is the something that we are growing towards? We are growing to what the scripture says, to become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I might be born again as a baby, but the end of my story is not to be that I am a spiritual baby, but it is that I have grown towards the fullness. What does that scripture say? The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's the whole idea. Is that my life is this journey towards maturity in the faith. Now we will never get to the complete fullness of our maturity, but I'm moving in that direction. So perhaps there's a chart that I can say, well, that's how's it going with my spiritual maturity? Am I growing in my spiritual maturity? Now let's ask the question then, what is spiritual maturity? And I'm going to talk about it a bit more later, but let me just for orientation's sake and just so that we sort of work on the same understanding, just say the following. I think spiritual maturity ultimately, as one writer says, can be defined as having a mature relationship with Christ. Because Christ is everything. It's all about Jesus in our faith, in the, in the Trinity. So having, becoming mature spiritually is, is being able to have a mature relationship with Jesus. 
And I think any of us that have walked with the Lord for any length of time will know that when I started off as a baby, I'm now born again, I, I've just gotten saved. My relationship with Jesus at that stage looks a bit different now than it does five years down the line, doesn't it? My, my relationship is maturing. As Letitia was sharing, you know, when she was young, now at 18, what does the Lord's voice sound like? You can't still be at 20 years of walking with the Lord going, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like. There, there has to be things that you pick up. There has to be a growing, um, advancing. So to be a mature Christian is to have a relationship with Jesus where your trust in Him is growing and developing, in which you worship Him more deeply, more truly, and more with more abandonment, and where you seem to be just growing in your obedience to Him and your ability to share about who He is in your life with others. But I'll talk more about that later. But I think it's about how do I get to know Jesus better? And better reflect who he is as I've gotten to know him. So maturity is the whole journey that every one of us are on. You are on a journey towards maturity. We together as a community are on a journey towards maturity. I'm so thankful to be part of a community that has some kilometers behind it. That has some history. I've been in this community for more than... 40 years. I got saved around about eight or nine years old and got into this community and I've journeyed with this community and that there's nothing that can retain, replace time and process. You can't become a 16 years old in one year. And I don't know how that exactly works in the spiritual terms, but even in our spiritual growth, it takes time, it takes process. And so a community like this, there's a, a greater maturity because of some of the journey, some of the walking, some of the, the deposits, the, the wells of life that we have experienced. And often I get to deal with new church plants and new communities, and it's exciting and it's thrilling and there's stuff going on. But as I'm having conversations with some of the leaders, I just recognize mm, there's still a bit of journey to ahead. There's just not the maturity yet to, to be able to handle some of the things. And we're learning, we're growing consistently. Maturity is the whole idea. And I want to say also, the second point I want to make is maturity is for everyone. It's for every single believer. Every one of us is supposed to be growing and maturing. There's not some that mature and others that can remain spiritual children. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 28 to 29. He says this, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Paul says, man, I'm, I'm applying myself, I'm giving myself to the maturing of everyone. Everyone. He's not, con he's not happy to say, well, I've been working with you, the Colossians, for a while, and I'm so glad that some of you are maturing, but I see a, a, a whole bunch of you aren't maturing, but you know, people are going to be people. Some are going to mature, some aren't. You know, we take what we get. He's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm applying myself. I'm strenuously contending with all of you 
admonishing, teaching with all the wisdom I have, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. In the time, one of the things that the New Testament writers and the leaders of the church of the first century church, one of the things they were fighting with was a developing Gnosticism in the time. Now, Gnosticism is this worldview where the world is dualistically divided into a material and non-material world, where the non-material world, the world of reason, the world of thinking is superior to the material world. And so this kind of thing started developing that it's your thinking that matters in life. It's not so much your doing. And this kind of thing seemed to have started working into the New Testament church, even in the time of the writings of Paul. It really became mature in the second century, and the second century church fathers really fought it. But it appears that this could be behind what Paul is trying to address with this community of the Colossians. Because there was this concept in the time where they divided society in two groups. On the one side, they had what was called in Greek the hoipoloi. Now, that word's familiar to us, but interestingly enough, we use the word hoipoloi to describe the upper, higher class of people, but in the original Greek, that was actually the lower people. The hoipoloi was the everybody, the everyday people, the normal people. Those people were expected to have a certain level of knowledge, but not, they were never really going to know the deeper things, because the deeper things were reserved for what was called the hoiteleo. Teleoi, the hoi teleoi. Now these people were seen as the elite. They, for some other reason, had access and was able to grasp the deeper knowledge, the secrets. And so it was expected that the rulers and leaders in society would come from this hoi teleoi. And these would be the people that would actually be the thinkers, the planners, the ones that would move society forward. They would think deeper. These people, the hoipoloi, don't expect too much of them. They're just the sheep. They just go along. And so Paul confronts that thinking that has been seeping into the church in Colossians. And they've been starting to treat their, their community like that. And they say, well, you guys are the special knowledgeable people. And the rest of us, we just sort of, you know, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. And he's saying, no. No, that's not how it works in God's kingdom. He's saying it is our job to present everyone fully mature in the Lord. So he's not delineating in a community and saying, oh, thank you for coming. I'm so glad you're here, but just sit and be quiet. To some and to the others, he says, okay, now you are, we, we, we need the secrets from you. He's saying, no, everyone. Everyone must be maturing, growing in their faith. Obviously, that looks different for different people, different trajectories and all of that, but he's not placing an expectation that it's the job of some to mature and the job of others to lead the maturing. He's saying everybody must mature. Now, I think in our day, we will never say that we put a higher expectation on some than on others, but I think we sometimes practice it. I think we sometimes have certain categories of people. Perhaps I would fit into the category because I'm an anointed, set-aside pastor, professional Christian, whatever you want to call me, like others in this room. And those are the people that they have something special. Now, we do have some. I do have something special. It's a calling. This is what God's called me to do. 
But this is not the result of me having some secret knowledge about God, the scriptures, the wisdom of God that you cannot access. Is that okay? God says, you are all my children. Can you have come in? Let me mature you. It is for everyone. The challenge, though, is becoming mature is hard. It's hard in the natural, and it's hard in the spiritual. It doesn't happen while you sleep at night just by accident. It doesn't happen because you just around the right people. How many of you, when you were younger at school, tried because you had to study for exam and it was like so hard and there were so many other things that you wanted to do rather. So you thought, man, perhaps if I open the book at the right chapter, put it under my pillow and sleep on it, then by, in the morning by some miraculous osmosis, I will have the knowledge because I'm a Christian, you know, I can trust God for, I, I've certainly tried that and my marks reflected it. You know, I had more wrinkles on my face than marks. It's the same. Growing in life requires application. It requires intention. It requires discipline. That's why the word disciple is derived from the word discipline. It's a lifelong learner that applies himself, that disciplines himself, trains himself according to a certain way of thinking and way of life. It's not works. It's sanctification. You see, to be born again is something that Jesus does for me. Isn't it? Isn't that what we believe? What is your part in being born again? What do you do? Here I am. I receive it. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He did all the hard work. He died. His blood was poured out. He does the forgiveness. He does everything. All I need to do is come and say, Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. By your grace, I have come to recognize this because I have an unrenewed mind, but you somehow made me understand that I need salvation. And I come today and I say, Lord, forgive me my sin and become my savior. And in that moment, I become a child of God. Boom, brand new baby. Right there. But now, this baby must start taking in sustenance so that it can grow. So that it can move on. Again, Paul writes to the Corinthians, another community of the faith, the church that he was working with. And he writes, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. As I was preparing this week and, and reading about this, I found it interesting that Paul does a very clear distinction between two groups of people within the Corinthians church. Not Believers and unbelievers, or everybody's believers, but he says there are two types of believers in your midst. There are the believers that are spiritual believers, and there are the believers that are worldly. Some translations would say carnal. Sometimes we talk about being fleshly. He says there are believers among you that are living by the Spirit. But there are believers among you that are living by the world and its standards. And he uses that differentiation in terms of maturity. He's saying, if you're a believer that is maturing, you are showing that you are a person of the Spirit. 
If you are a person of the world, if there's worldliness in you, you are immature. Because let's think about this just realistically. So I get born again, I give my heart to Jesus. That moment I'm saved, I become part of a new kingdom, I'm forgiven, I'm fully part of the family of God. I'm, my, my status, my position, everything changes. But how many of you know my thinking hasn't been renewed? My habits hasn't begun to really change yet. I'm still pretty worldly. I'm a new baby, but I have all this old man, the Bible describes, that, that I now need to begin to deal with. So I'm, I'm probably pretty worldly, so it's okay. I'm a, I'm a born in the Spirit, regenerated by the Spirit, born again, renewed. I have a new spirit within me that responds to God. But I still have a worldly way of thinking, a worldly pattern, a worldly way of living. So now what does the Holy Spirit do? He starts walking with me. And he starts taking me away from the worldliness. And he starts discipling me. And in a community I begin to be discipled and I begin to drop some of that worldliness and more and more. But here, more and more I begin to live the biblical understanding of life. But here Paul says, there's some of you brothers and sisters I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. You are still worldly. You have not progressed. You are still in the same state as I found you when you got saved. You still have stinky nappies. The same ones you had five years ago. You still have those same things. I gave you milk, not solid food. For you were not yet ready for it. Now, some translations will say, I gave you milk, not meat. And so for the vegetarians and vegans among us, I gave you soy milk and not tofu. <laughs> for you were not ready for it. I don't know if I'm not ready for it still. But do you recognize that when you get saved and born again, it's like a, a little one. And God comes and he feeds you. You know, he does like a caring mother. I remember Natasha, she'd make the bottle and, you know, it has to be, and then she'd drip that little bottle on her, on her finger here and she'd feel or like on her and go, just right the temperature. Here's body. <laughs> you know, and for the first six months or something of their lives or three months or whatever, it's cool, awesome, oh, so cute. But I can remember the day we bought our first bottle of purity. And we, and, and, and we sat Ethan down and we took that purity and we played the plane game. Oh, here comes the airplane. And it's like, you know, little baby. And you stick that, that purity in his mouth and for and some inexplicable reason, it ends up all over his face. And he's got this face filled with, and, but it's so cute, it's so fantastic. You know, those days we didn't have phones with cameras, so it was good old, you know, so took photos, it's like, oh, it's fantastic, this little boy, he's growing up, I can remember once, me and him, we went to the Drakensberg, he was like eight months old or something, me and him, we decided it's a great idea to go to the Drakensberg, now Luke, it's always good for the Drakensberg, so off we go, and we're driving back, and I've got him strapped in his little car seat in the back, and he wants something, so I give him a yogurt and a spoon, <laughs> guess what? Like he's happy, he's quiet in the rear of a mirror and I'm driving and I look in the mirror and the yogurt is like, <laughs> at that moment it wasn't so cute, but that's appropriate behavior. But how many of you know if he's 25, 
and his mother still has to cut his meat up for him and put it in the liquidizer. His body, there's a problem. He's supposed to be now having developed the ability, the maturity to begin to feed himself and hopefully at some point to pay for his own food. I move on. I gave you milk, not solid food, 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 for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. What an indictment. You have been a Christian for five years. You're still waiting for somebody to say, here's body. And then if the bottle doesn't come quick enough, what do you do? They don't love me. The community doesn't love me. I move on. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human beings? Now, here's a fascinating insult. Paul insults the Corinthians by calling them humans. That's not an insult. He says, you are merely human beings. Duh. These are humans you're dealing with. What else would they be? He's actually expecting of them to be something more than just mere humans. What is he asking of them? He's saying you're supposed to be regenerated, reborn human beings. No longer living by the patterns and thoughts and wisdom of the flesh, but learning to live by the patterns and wisdom and habits of the spirit. If you cannot discern those two, you will not grow. You will remain immature. So he's saying maturity is linked to your ability to begin to understand the mysteries of God. That is beyond human understanding. A couple of weeks ago, I started getting really frustrated with my phone. This phone. It's not about what make it is or whatever. This phone. It started being able to not charge really well. So I uh, thought, oh, there's something wrong with my cable. But now it's my conviction in life that I do not want to spend money on cables. So I believe 10 60 rand cables is better than one 750 rand original cable. So I have this lady that I go to and I go buy cables every now and then. And I buy a 60 rand cable and now my cables just, I'd wake up in the morning, my phone was on charge the whole night, it's flat. And it wasn't Eskom's fault. It just didn't charge because the connection is just not working. It's like it's too loose. Every time I feel like this connection's loose, it's just. So now I'm frustrated. So I think, okay, I've got to get a better cable. The cable, I need a better cable. So I go buy a 150 rand cable. Like I go to the store, they tell me there's a 250 rand. Oh, no, that's too much. I can't do that. Like I'm a cheapskate. So I go, I can give me 150, but I tell the guy. Now I'm, I'm a little irritated with these people because it often feels to me like you go to these stores, they don't really want to help you, they just want to sell you the, the most expensive thing they can. So by default, I'm like, no, you're not going to sell me this expensive cable. Just give me a, and he says, no, this cable will work and you know, whatever. And I go home, guess what? Cable doesn't work. It like, it's loose. So now I'm irritated. So I go back to the store two days later with my slip. My little bag, my cable in its original box. And I walk into the store and there's a little bit of irritation. Still enough to classify as a Christian, but just enough irritation. 
You know, just a little bit under the surface. You know, and I and I put the stuff on the ta- on the de- on the little counter, and I say, "Listen, I came here two days ago, and I told you I need a cable that works, and this cable does not do it." So he like takes the cable, he looks at it, he tries it, he says, "Sir, just give me a moment." He disappears there with my phone, and uh, like five minutes later, he comes back. He says, "Listen, sir, the problem was that this charging port of yours, there's a little thing inside which catches the cable when you put it in. That thing was just a bit loose or stretched or whatever. So I fixed it for you." And then he puts the cable in and he holds like my phone like this and my phone's hanging loose. Like, and it doesn't get rid of the, the cable doesn't. And guess what? All my 60 Rand cables now work. <laughs> and isn't that what we do in life? We want to have a connection with God because we know. But sometimes the connection just does not work. It doesn't feel like it's, it's doing what it's supposed to. And then we try a different connection. But the problem is we're trying to connect to God through the port of the flesh instead of connecting with God through the port of the Spirit. Because God is Spirit and those who worship Him will worship Him in Spirit and in truth. I need to connect with God through my spiritual man. And by the way, I can be 60 years old and born again, but in the Spirit, what am I? A baby. Because my spirit is now becoming fully alive for the first time. And this spirit now needs to begin to inform and teach and instruct my body, my flesh, my mind how to work. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But where does this baby get its feeding from? Not from the flesh, but from the spirit. And the more this baby begins to be fed, And initially it is the milk of the Spirit. Oh, Jesus loves you. Just ask Jesus and he'll do whatever you ask him. He, and isn't that fantastic when you get born again? It's like, oh, Jesus everywhere. Sometimes. It's like the, the, the colors are HD suddenly. 4K, wow. And Jesus is like, but then you grow older and, and Jesus sits at the other end of the table and he says, now come on, cut your food. No, oh, Jesus, you love me. I need you, come on, cut my food. And he walks with us, but not in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the Spirit. And we live in this tension, this wrestle, this stress of trying to figure out how does the kingdom function? What is God's truth, God's principles? It, it's, it's reflected, it's sometimes mirrored in the world, but a lot of it you will never understand until you engage with it. It's this knowledge of the Spirit. It's not illogical. It's extremely logical, but it just works on a, your, your, your flesh receptors don't connect well. Sometimes a little bit of power comes through, but other times it's just not doing it. And so we, we think, oh, okay, my spiritual receptor is not working, this cable, so I'm going to go to another church, and I'm going to try another cable. Enough! Or I'm going to join another community group. Or I'm going to kick my friends to the curb and try a new squad. Or whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to watch this new preacher. Or I'm going to, and we keep on connecting, trying different things. And it works a little bit. And at, you know, when you get by the new cable, it works for a week. And then it doesn't work anymore. And it's like, are we fr-? But the problem is we're connecting with the wrong port. We're not connecting with the spirit of the, the wisdom of the spirit. And God is saying through 
Paul is writing. You are just like mere humans. You argue, you wrestle, you fight with each other about nonsense that is very relevant and important to the fleshly person, but to the spiritual person, it really shouldn't be things you're fighting about. That's why some of you say, I'm of Apollos. Because what are you doing? You're trying to connect with spiritual wisdom through a fleshly connection. Therefore, I'm, you know, this is my leader. And the other one says, no, no, no. I'm a better Christian. I have access to deeper knowledge because this is my leader. And he goes, what are you doing? That is nonsensical wisdom. If you keep on doing that, you will remain babies because you are trying to understand spiritual wisdom through worldly patterns and thoughts. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, Dr. J.I. Packer, writes in the introduction, and he, he uses this term. He says, he talks about pygmy Christians, miniature Christians, little Christians, stunted Christians, Christians that grow to a certain point and then don't go any further. And he says, the reason you find so many pygmy Christians is because they serve a pygmy God. They serve a little God. A God that is shaped by their needs. A God that is shaped by their thinking, their desires. A God that is a worldly God because he's formed by worldly wisdom. And the thing is that when we shape God, we will always make him smaller. We reduce him. So we have caricatures of Jesus. We have the caricature of Jesus, the, the business character, Jesus the business person. Or Jesus the leader, the caricature of him. Or Jesus the capitalist. Or Jesus the socialist. Or Jesus the this, or Jesus the that. We all shape Jesus according to our worldly reasoning and understanding. And we reduce him to fit our box and to fit what we think is important in life. And in that way, we actually what we're doing is we're keeping ourselves small. Because we can never grow bigger than what our view of our God is. And we reduce God. And we worship these caricatures of Jesus. Instead of saying, Lord Jesus, show me who you are. Reveal yourself. Break my boundaries so that I can grow. And that's what spiritual wisdom allows people to do. When the Holy Spirit initiates and is the teacher, the guide, the paraclete, he takes you to spaces where you go, I have no understanding of this, but my spirit is beginning to resonate and my spirit is beginning to understand. And then it, and, and then it begins to make sense to my mind. It's not a, a good spiritual Christian. is not a mindless Christian. Please do not hear me saying that. If you hear me saying that, I'm either communicating badly or you misunderstanding me because I do not believe that at all. A good Christian is a mindful because love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, excuse me, mind so but my mind is being renewed by this connection I have with a spiritual wisdom and truth can I can I be a little bit can I get out my scalpel a bit and cut a little bit and then some of the pastors will come and put the plasters on <laughs> after I'm finished is that okay can I the young people say go for it you don't know what I'm going to say now, so be careful. What Paul is referencing here about 
you are still worldly for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you. You see, what a, what a worldly, fleshly Christian needs is they need their mind to be convinced about biblical truth all the time. And they're forever arguing biblical truth because they're trying to access biblical truth with human reasoning and worldly reasoning, and they're struggling. And so what happens is, this is my scalpel, please forgive me. If you have to keep on convincing a person that says, I'm a Christian, I belong to Jesus, I've given my heart to Jesus, I've been walking with Jesus for X amount of years now. If you have to keep convincing that Christian that having sex outside of marriage is wrong, guess what? You are trying to impart spiritual wisdom to a person that is trying to figure it with their human worldly understanding. And there's a disconnect. Because if you have to give me the case for sex outside of marriage, why people should get married, live together before they get married, on a human wisdom, I completely understand it. I mean, what is the old wisdom? You don't take a car. You don't buy a car if you haven't had it for a test drive. I mean, great, worldly wisdom, it's fantastic. Do you just recognize that you've just called yourself a car? An inanimate object with no feelings. You may have an air conditioner, but you are just, you know, I don't know. But I can understand that in worldly wisdom. But when I start tapping into biblical knowledge and wisdom and understanding the mysteries of God, I start going, wow, there's something amazing going on here. Now, God has the patience to walk with us, to, to bring us along. He knows we're not going to get it from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit comes. The community comes around. He gives us these multidisciplinary um, offices of pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. And we all work together and we're growing. But it's hard to do. And it requires the surrender, the submission. Didn't Jesus say, if you want to follow me, lay down your life. Lay down your thinking. Lay down what you use as descriptions of the truth. But if you don't do that, a Christian community like ours, we'll quarrel about everything because we're trying to figure it out with our human reason. And let me tell you, there's things in this biblical way of life that it's very diff- it eventually makes sense if you understand it from the Spirit. But to approach it from here, I can name you topic after topic. Leadership, giving. Intimacy, marriage, it makes no sense if you, you will destroy it if you try and do it with human wisdom. But there's a biblical wisdom, and that's what the Spirit is doing. Okay, let's move on. Not only is becoming mature hard, but helping other people become mature is very hard. Maturing people is hard. The writer of the Hebrews writes the same kind of thinking as Paul, he writes in, in Hebrews 5 verse 11. We have much to say about this. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Ooh, that feels like me and my beloved minions that I call children. Sometimes I'm like, it feels like you do not want to understand. Now, they're older. I don't have those kind of conversations with them anymore. But there was a time when it was like, really? Is it so difficult? I don't think you want to understand. And you see, that's what fleshly Christians end up doing. They try. They try the connection. They try. But then they get to a place where they say, Ah, this Christianity is not working for me. It's not doing what I thought it would do. 
And then they stop trying to understand. They stop trying to. They just want to keep enough Christianity so that they've got fire security and fire insurance. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to go to hell. So I've got that covered. But I'm not going to do the hard work of trying to understand God. I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to meditate about the Bible. As Pastor Jack always said, he spoke to us about meditation. It's choo-choo. You see, because the Bible has some milk with it. But can I tell you, most of the Bible is not milk. It's meat. You have to chew it. Doesn't Psalm 1 say, blessed is the, the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. For he will be like a tree planted by streams of living water that will bear its fruit in season and out of season. Because to know the wisdom of God. You have to chew, 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 chew. You don't just. But you see, the problem is we have such so many, so many modern Christians that just want to have a spiritual experience every now and then where it's like, here's body. Just give me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, the warmth. The bottle is so nice and warm. Oh, it's so beautiful. Which is fine if you're one week old. But I'm talking about 20 years old in the faith. Oh, all I want is my body. And then they, they go to church and, the, and the, the, you know, the worship is a bit deep. Oh, I can't do deep. That's too much hard work. I don't want to go deep. Oh, come on, man. People, just give me my bottle. Or the, or the pastor says, you know. We're going to do a reading plan for the year. Every day you're going to read the scripture and at least a chapter. Oh, What are these people doing? Are they, in a, are they into works now? Don't they know we're saved by grace? Just give me my little verse of the day. How many of you remember the Kurang Arkis or what did you used to call them? In English they also had a name. Hey? I don't know, you'll remember. Those little things that you pull out the box, the little verse of the day. Woohoo! That's oh, my bottle. Now, it's fine to have a verse for the day, but can I tell you, as a mature Christian, you will not survive on a verse for the day. You need a bit more than that. You need a bit of meat. You need to get to the scriptures and go, I do not understand this. This I need to wrestle with something here. Come, community group, help me. What is God saying? How does this actually work? Because maturity is what Jesus is drawing. In fact, verse 12, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need soy milk, not tofu. You need milk, not solid food. Is it possible that the writer of the Hebrews is actually saying here that every believer should become eventually a teacher of the word? Hey? That every one of us should grow in our ability to not only receive, but to impart this biblical wisdom that is mysterious and hard to explain sometimes and understand. We need to become so mature and comfortable with it that we can actually give it to others. Is that possible? Why do you think we need an office of the teacher within the fivefold ministry? What is the office of the teacher? So to teach the word and everybody else goes, wow. That is awesome. Yes, that teacher knows the Bible. I'm so glad to know that teacher. No, it is to equip the saints for their works of service, which is teaching. 
You're supposed to be a teacher on your front line. Now, teaching is not, listen, sit down, I'm going to tell you, even though that's what I'm doing right now. That's not what teaching looks like. Teaching is, I'm going to impart. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to draw you into the spiritual wisdom. Okay. Church father Jerome in the fourth century said a great thing. He said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. If we're not getting to know the scripture, we will not get to know Christ. Because it's the first testimony of who Jesus is, is the scripture. Now I can have a caricature of Jesus and just read the scriptures that suit my caricature and fits my description and makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Or I can go deeper and I can go broader and wider and, and like stretch myself and go, okay, Jesus, mm, perhaps you're not always a capitalist. Mm, perhaps you're not always a socialist. Perhaps you're neither of the two. Hmm, I don't know what that means. I move on. Let me give you, as I'm finishing, six characteristics of a maturing Christian. Quickly, these I'm going to go through quickly. The first characteristics, these are all going to be S's because that's what good pastors do, good preachers do, and I'm trying to be one, become one. So the first one, a maturing Christian is securing knowledge. But I, I chose the word securing not only because it's an S, but because it talks about being rooted, established, planted. Not skimming, but planting themselves in this system. It's a terrible word, I know, but I don't know what other word. This worldview, this philosophy, this attitude, this lifestyle of biblical truth. They are securing, digging deeper, going, I want more. You know... Having studied theology and reading and studying the scripture all of my life, this is the fantastic thing about studying the Bible. You open one door, there's a hundred other doors behind it. And for every one of those doors, there's another hundred doors. You'll never stop learning. You'll never stop studying. You're always securing. And not securing knowledge, securing life. Not law, legalism that kills, but life-giving spiritual understanding. So, a, a, a maturing believer is securing knowledge. Secondly, they are spiritually discerning. Now, I don't, what I mean by discerning is the following. Mature disciples have the ability to learn by experience how to apply the basic teachings of the faith to everyday situations. They're receiving this knowledge, they're growing and learning, and they're beginning to understand how do I apply this other Spiritual knowledge within a very real and practical world in a way that is helpful and transformative. I don't just dump this truth on people. I know how to say it, where to say it, whom to say it to. I'm beginning to develop what the Bible calls wisdom. Like I know with my four sons, the one I speak to this way if I'm trying to help him with something, but the other one I speak to this way, and that is discerning. I'm becoming to the level where I can discern. And that's what spiritually discerning people do. They, they find ways to love the way God loves in every different situation because of this discernment. So they're securing knowledge. They're spiritually discerning. They are seeking righteousness. The Bible talks about putting off sin and putting on righteousness. 
I, I'm, I'm desiring, not because of some law or because of some pressure or some social expectation or some outward definition of what a Christian is, but because I'm engaging with the living God and my spirit is being reignited and awoken, I'm wanting more and I'm going, Lord, help me. Oh, I don't want to help me put off the sin that so easily entangles me. That has wrapped me up, my insecurities, my fears, my brokenness, my rebellion. Lord, help me to just untangle this stuff. And the more I walk with the Holy Spirit, the more He convicts me. He never condemns me. He always says, come on, you can do this. You can get free. And He helps me and my community helps me and people around me that love me helps me. And, they, and I, I get untangled from the sin. And as I get untangled and I put off the sinfulness, I begin to put on the righteousness. Mature believers, you start seeing the transformation. You see, wow. Perhaps it begins with obvious sins, but then it continues to move to the sort of hidden things also. You see this transformation. The fourth one, maturing believers are serving the body. They learn to develop this interdependent community of relationships where we together serve the Lord Jesus. There's a unity. There's this, I, I'm not going to try and understand everything and pull it apart and try to you know, break it all into its little pieces. I'm going to be part of a community and I, I have the spiritual maturity and the spiritual um, generosity to understand that everybody in my community is not perfect but I can hold it because we're seeking Jesus together and some of us are this far on our journey some of us are this far but we're walking with and we're going together the fifth one is they suffer well spiritually maturing people are learning to suffer well they're suffering well they're learning that life on this planet is challenging. And they've got a theology that allows them to, to hold the goodness of God, the absolute love and grace and goodness of God within the context of trauma, pain, difficulty, disappointment. And they have a faith in God. They believe in the supernatural. They, they speak the miracles, but they also live in this reality. They're not super spiritual and they're not fleshly. They can, they can traverse and hold together. And the last one is they spread the gospel. They're spreading the gospel. Not because of some program, but because of what God's doing with inside of them. In almost in a natural but yet very intentional way, they're allowing this transformation to spill over. And guess what? It's my responsibility to grow. It's not your responsibility. I need you to grow if I don't know how to share my faith with people, whose responsibility is it to go and learn how to share my faith with people? Mine. I find this so often with Christians. You say, are you sharing your faith? No, the church hasn't taught me how to do it. I'm like, excuse me. Okay, we'll, we'll do something. We can help you. Sure, that's our responsibility. But sometimes you've been to five courses and you still don't know because you don't really want to know. Sorry, I move on. You know what's the grace of the Lord in all of this? If there is such a thing as the Lord keeping track of your score, guess what? He's not going to show it to you and He's not going to show it to anybody else because He's not comparing you to somebody. 
It's his journey with you. Even your pastor will not know. Now, because I love people and I know people and people love me and know me, I value and appreciate the input of people that tells me, listen, I think you're falling a bit behind or won't you check certain things? But ultimately, I'm not trying to live up to anybody else's standard of what my spiritual growth should be. But that means the responsibility is mine. That's, it's my privilege to grow. Can I ask you to stand with me? Worship team, you don't have to join me. I want to end. Man, I so hope this morning, for those of you that are online, those who are in the room, if I've added a burden to your life, I want to say I'm so sorry. That's not my intention. This is not a burden. This is a privilege because it's not something we do. It's something we respond to. We allow the Holy Spirit to come. That's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave, that the Holy Spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. I'm not saying to you, be a better Christian. You've got to mature more. I'm saying we have the privilege of the Holy Spirit. If you're frustrated, check your connection. Are you trying to connect with your worldly thinking or are you saying, Lord, renew my thinking, help me? And then turn to the scripture. Can we pray together? So just put yourself in a posture, those that are online with us, those listening on the radio, where you can say, here I am, Lord, I want to respond to you. Lord, I thank you for your love for every single one of us. I know there are people that have listened to this message and they've already been struggling. And they're feeling like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And I so hope that they're not feeling like now this is impossible. But actually feel like, wow. God is doing something in my life. He's busy with me. He's inviting me to more, to further and so I pray for every one of us, Lord. As we just come and do what Jesus said, we come, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and we follow you. Because you have the words of life. Where else will we go? We will learn from you, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We will learn the unforced rhythms of grace. To grow into the broad and wide and open spaces that you have prepared for us. To walk into the victory, the, the supernatural joy and peace that you have for us. Come Holy Spirit. And so I just pray that simple prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Come fill us Holy Spirit. Continue to renew us. Change us, transform us. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today that has not yet invited you into their lives to, to say, Jesus, come. Save me, transform me, change me. I pray this morning, whether it's online, the radio, here, I pray for a meeting with the Spirit of God right now in Jesus' name. Right there in your seat, you can meet the Lord Jesus. And you can experience something that is hard for your mind to fully fathom. But you will know that it is the truth. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come right now Holy Spirit. Come do your work in our midst. And then I pray for any believers that have felt stuck in their journey, their maturing. 
I speak a release. I speak a joy. I speak a surrender. I speak something, Lord, that just opens up the space for them, untangles. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Our team will be in the front here to pray for you. If you want to come and say to somebody, I want to give my life to Jesus, or I just felt Jesus in, this, in my seat, then please come to the front. Let somebody pray with you. If you have any other need, we'll pray for you. Please remember to sign up for community groups and also for the Connect Lounge uh, where you can find out about our community. May the Lord bless you. Have a fantastic earthquake-free Sunday. And uh, be thankful you're not running the comrades. See you next week.